0: Lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now, here's your host, Lee Richardson.
1: So, thanks for joining us today. Today, we've got a, a really interesting show for you. We want to talk about self confidence, and it's something that we, at some point in our life, we're all looking for. I've got Sharon Bounty, and she is an entrepreneur, a coach, and a teacher. She's worked with celebrities, millionaires, casino owners, investors, and everyday people, too. She's been featured on TV, radio, magazines, and podcasts, and she's a leading expert in helping people achieve the life that they've only dreamed of. Her past clients have praised her for her ability to problem-solve. Her sincerity, her honesty, her integrity, and ability to really listen and get to the bottom of their problems in a succinct way. She's compassionate. She thinks outside of the box and has a natural curiosity about life. Her early years were challenging, and that really led her, put her on her way into a life that she loves. And it's made her want to help others do the same thing. She's the founder of Blueprint for Stress Release. She is dedicated to teaching teens and young adults how to uncover and question those beliefs and help them feel more connected to life. Through her work, she's discovered ways to bring out the best in people. And that makes them feel confident, which leads to more success at home and at work. Sharon, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you so much for having me on your show. It's a pleasure. You know, self-confidence is something that I'm always, it, it leaves me in a state of wonder because, you know, I've got a couple of graduate degrees and I'm in a PhD program. I've never had a class in self-confidence, you know. They can teach you so, so many things, but self-confidence is not something that's that we, that we can learn. I mean, it's something that we have to learn on our own.
0: It certainly is. And as one great master, Dale Carnegie, said, the way to get self-confidence is to do the thing that you most don't want to do. And when you do it once it's not so bad, and then you do it again, and you keep doing it until it becomes natural and comfortable. And a lot of that, of course, is tied into fear, the fear of not enoughness. And everybody suffers that at some level or another. And it's a very strong guiding force in people's lives that causes them to suffer much at the time. And we really do have control over that. If we just stop each time we get triggered and take a look at what the underlying belief was, what was just reflected back to us about ourselves. And when you learn to put your finger on that and you identify that belief, that not enoughness, then you can question whether it's true or not. And that's all we're ever looking for is the truth. It's been my experience that, those underlying beliefs have never been true. And yet in our mind, like every other story we create, it feels so real in our minds and it's not true. So there's nothing. I'm sorry. No, Mm -hmm. I was just going to say, you make
1: such a good point. We've got to become comfortable with fear.
0: I look at it this way. We can, I and everybody, I think, puts as much energy into being afraid as we do into being happy. Why not just be happy? know Why Why dredge up in our minds a story about something that has never happened and more than likely will never happen? It's like, um, let me use vacation as an example. You could, let's say you have a, a camping trip planned and it's pretty exciting cuz very few people camp in tents anymore but let's say you're going to do a whole tent and the Coleman stove and all that you can and it's going to be in the Sierra Nevadas it's just spectacular there you've seen all the the uh, online pictures of it you're really excited now you read in the next day about the little girl who was taken out of the tent where her parents were sleeping right on the other side of the divider So you can either start to terrorize yourself by conjuring up images of you and your family and children camping in the Sierra Nevadas and spend your whole time worrying that somebody's going to come and kidnap your child, or you can keep it exciting. Oh my gosh, we're going to see things that we haven't seen. This is spectacular. I'm so glad the whole family can go. Which one feels better? Obviously, the one where you're foreseeing a joyful and happy experience. And notice in both situations, we are doing it to ourselves because it's us thinking those thoughts, right? Right. Yeah. Have you ever done something like that when you're fearful? well, everybody's
1: been fearful, and just because you're feel fearful, it doesn't mean that you're not self-confident. The way that I look at fear, when I'm feeling fearful, I, that's I'm on my edge, you know, and I yes. like being on my edge. <laughs> that's where I learn, and that's where I grow. And, and and one of my sons is expecting a baby, and it's my first grandchild. But it's made me think. You know, I think about back a lot. Um, about when they were young. And I, you know, I was thinking the other day, I remember when they learned to walk and the furry, when they first start trying to walk, they, they were so afraid they were going to fall down. And once they did, and they took those first, you know, few steps and off they went, man, big old smiles on their face. And it, they just pushed past their
0: fears. Yes. Well, I think when we're born, we are, as my belief. We're not born with fear. It's a learned trait. So if you were to take a six-month-old baby or a one-year-old child and put them in the middle of a major highway in LA, they wouldn't know to be afraid. They would simply be standing there or, in the case of a baby, laying there because they don't know what fear is until someone starts telling them to be afraid. Now, if they hear a loud clap or loud bang, it's a startle reflex not so much fear it's just oh wasn't expecting that sound it just startled me and again we learn and we learn fear from others just as we learn people pleasing behavior from others and in our effort to and we're taught that we're taught let company go first let let the company sit down at the table first hold the door open for that stranger so essentially we are being programmed to put ourselves on the back burner and take care of others before ourselves and in my my line of thinking that's a bit backwards and so many people today when they come to that realization are now trying to figure out how to help the self-confidence How do you get self-love? It's all good and well to say, oh, you need self-confidence. Oh, you need to love yourself. But nobody gives that one, two, three step on how to do it. And at the beginning of the conversation, I mentioned one way. The other is to understand that in any external situation, let's say public speaking, for example, a lot of people are lacking in confidence to get up on a stage in front of a very large audience and there's a lot of fear around that as well and this comes from worrying about what others are going to think of us and if we would get still enough we we would realize we have no control over what someone else's perception of us is only only they can make up their mind about us just as I'm the only one that can make up my mind about how I perceive you and vice versa. We could do Cirque du Soleil acts and still one person might think we're nuts doing that and the other person might think that was spectacular. Either way, we have no control. So once you let go of looking outside of yourself for approval, appreciation, support, love, etc., then you begin to relax. Then you begin to have those peaceful thoughts. You know, it's your job and it's my job to love ourselves, support ourselves, take care of ourselves, etc. If our partners or family love us, that's great. That's icing on the cake. But it is their love to give, not ours to take. You can't force anybody to give you anything that's not yours to begin with. Does that make sense? It does
1: make sense. And I think, you know, when I think of self-confidence... And I work with a lot, a lot of clients that are trying to develop self-confidence and many times they don't have a good relationship with themselves. Right. That's and, right. you know, that's where it starts, I think, is to be confident. You have to, you have to have a good relationship with yourself. And a lot of times I'll, I'll be talking with somebody and I'll talk, so let's talk about core values. Well, Tell me, tell me, what do you want to know about core values? Well, what are your core values? Because knowing your values can help you choose what you do in your life. And discovering your values takes some time. And a lot of times, we haven't spent the time to really look at our beliefs and our opinions. And until you become clear on who you are and what you believe in, I think it's very, very hard to have a high self-worth
0: I agree with you wholeheartedly there. And for me, and what I do with people is help them find those underlying beliefs. And I'm just gonna give a couple of examples. When we're very young children, I'll speak for myself. When I was four, my mother and I've had opportunity obviously to look back on my life, and that's why I'm, able, I'm clear on this, what I'm going to say now. My mother told me she was going to spank me when she got finished doing gardening. I had done something that had offended her. And my little four-year-old mind said, I'm a bad girl and mommy doesn't love me. And that stuck, and that got reinforced, reinforced when I went to school little kindergarten and then elementary, if I did something wrong in class, the teacher would punish me. In the case of British school, I had to go stand in the dunces corner. And that wasn't very fun, obviously standing in the corner in front of your classroom of friends. And so that further reinforced, I'm a bad girl, I'm not lovable. And that continued through life, different friends, people come and go in our lives. And each time a friendship disintegrated, or somebody said what I perceived to be a rude remark, I took it very personally because those two beliefs were triggered, only I didn't understand why I took it so personally, and I got in the habit of blaming others for what was going on inside of me. Oh, you know, I'm such a bad boss, you know, he doesn't understand, da-da-da-da-da. Well, is your boss really that bad? Is that absolutely true? Or is it your beliefs, underlying beliefs about yourself? I'm not good enough. I can't do anything right in his, his or her eyes. All of that's running constantly underneath whatever the beliefs were that we interred in, inside of us as we were growing up. And when you look at different situations... And you look at the belief you attach to it. So let's say four year old me, I've already described the situation, and I say, My mother made me feel unlovable in that situation when she said she was going to spank me. Well, can I 100% know that my mother made me feel unlovable? And the answer for me is a no. She just said she was going to spank me. And so I get withdrawn and tight, and I'm my whole body's tight because I'm anticipating that spanking I'm going to get. I learned the people-pleasing behaviors. What can I do to make my mommy love me? So i start learning at four years old how to wash the dishes, how to run the vacuum a little bit, you know, child's levels. But still trying to get my mommy to love me and show me affection and like me. And, you know, I've learned since then she's just really wasn't in a position in her own self to demonstrate those things that I needed at the time. And, um, and it sticks with you. And then when I question that, and I can see, no, she didn't make me feel or she never said I was unlovable. It's me who's been doing it to me time and time and time again. And for a lot of us, there'll be different things that have happened throughout our life that maybe happened once or twice, and we have replayed them Thousands of times, thousands upon
1: thousands of times, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if by the time you're four years old, you can have some negative thoughts in your head. You can hear your head say, you know, inside your head say, you can't do that. Um, they don't like you. I mean, you, we've all got at least two voices going in our head because we've got the voice, the negative voice that says, oh, you know, you don't know enough to do that, or you're too fat. And then you've got the other voice in your head, and it usually doesn't speak as loud, but the one that whispers, You can do that. You got this. So I think, you know, but when you're four years old, you really don't know how to listen to yourself. It's, and you don't even, those negative thoughts, they're ants, they're automatic negative thoughts, and they're so fast and so furious that there are people 50 years old that can't catch those thoughts. But when you're four years old, you don't stand a chance at it. And you don't, you know, when you think about developmentally, you're in the the play age. Um, You're starting to take initiative and you're starting to feel guilty and you're starting to have some self guilt, Uh, you know, between three and six, but four can be in the middle of that. But your brain is certainly not developed enough to recognize, oh, that's that negative chit-chat I've got going on in my brain.
0: Yes, you're absolutely right. I've found in cases of extreme trauma, um, specifically sexual trauma, there is the tendency for the victim to take on the blame and shame rather than put it where it belongs that oftentimes, especially if it's a, a parent involved, it's that inability to believe that they would harm you. So it's just easier to take on, oh, you know, I was in the way, I shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't do whatever comes to mind. And until you learn to put that responsibility where it belongs, then that internal fight will show up; it will manifest in a lot of different ways. Um, back to the beliefs they're so they're so underlying that if we get into a strong victim role we don't even realize we're in that victim mindset all the time. It isn't until maybe they encounter someone like yourself or me or read a certain book that creates that aha moment. And then that starts to unravel things and causes them to take a deeper look at their life and what's going on and how come I keep attracting the same situations and the same events. And for me, I truly believe it's an energetic uh, something energetic that we give off just like the bully in the playground knows which child he can pick on there's an energetic exchange and both children are hurting the bully is demonstrating it one way and the victim obviously is demonstrating it in another way and both both have the same opportunity to sit down with someone who's got experience in that and help them find out what those not enoughness beliefs are that they have going and help them understand that this they're just not true. They're not true. We're all lovable, likable, important, tall enough, skinny enough, heavy enough, whatever, whatever it is that we're believing the opposite of, we're simply not that we are the total opposite. It's all good. And we just have to be able to see that. Would you agree? Well, I do agree. But it's, you know, it's harder to see
1: that than we think, because when you think about it you know, the brain controls everything that you think, everything you do, you don't think. And on the right-hand side of the the right hemisphere, two-thirds of the cells in the brain are scanning for danger. It goes back to the old days, eat or be eaten. And the brain's job is survival. And so the brain's looking for that danger. It's looking for that negative. And research shows that We have three times more positive events in our day than negative. But what does the brain hold on to? The
0: negative, of course.
1: The negative. So, you know, we can all say, oh, I'm going to refocus my negative thoughts. I'm going to replace those with positive thoughts. I'm going to just turn it all around. But it's a lot harder than we think it is because we have to kind of teach our brain to wire and fire a little differently.
0: Certainly. And as, as you know, once one begins reframing your thoughts and retraining your brain so that the body follows in that positive path. So for example, mirror work, the telling yourself I love you and looking in your eyes, that's not designed to make you feel better. It's designed to see what comes up to be looked at. 99% of the time, if you're not in a place of Good self-love. You're criticizing yourself. You're like, oh man, look at the wrinkles. Look at this. Look at that. Rather than the I love you. And so when you see what comes up, still to be looked at and questioned, then nothing is impossible in life. Nothing. It's just a simple matter of learning how and what to do. In what I teach, and I hope your listeners do what I'm about to talk to talk about. If you write a letter to the person that has hurt you the most and you simply keep it very short, sweet, and to the point, and you start out with, this is what you've done to me, and you write all those things, and then in the next paragraph, in one word or less for each thing, this is how I felt at the time rejected, dejected, miserable, unhappy, unlo- whatever comes up for you as you start writing what that person did to you, you. You abused me, you kicked me, beat me, spit on me, said I was a spawn of Satan, whatever. I mean, this person hurt you. And nobody's going to see this letter. And you write down everything that's stored in you. And in that next paragraph, as I said, you write down how it made you feel at the time those are your underlying beliefs that have been carrying through your life. Those are the beliefs that you're going to take to task in different situations to see if they're even true. So if, if, you, if one of the things you wrote was depressed, then you find a situation where you believe with that person, where you believe they made you feel depressed. And you find out if that's true. And you'll see that it's you who made you feel depressed. It's you that made you feel miserable, unhappy, etc. It's a very simple exercise, extremely powerful, and very quickly will bring up what those underlying beliefs are. And then after that, you're going to write about how all of that showed up in your life and It's a very emotional letter to write because you really, when you sit still and you really get involved in it, you really see how the patterns developed in your life with the people that came into your life. And it's there's such a sadness involved in that and at the same time such an eye-opener where you can see how you were allowing it to happen to you rather than for you, simply because you believed all those things about yourself all that time.
1: Well, and we do, you know, we, we're so quick to find our negative. And and so oftentimes I'll ask people, well, tell me three things that you're talented at and they have a hard time. And I'm like, come on, everybody's good at something, you know, stop and think about it, but it's hard to give ourselves permission to really say, oh, I'm I'm really good at this, or I'm I do this better than anybody. But we're the first ones to say, I'm terrible, I'm okay. awful, you know, I suck. Um, we're good at that negative talk,
0: and of course, that negative talk simply reinforces those beliefs about ourselves, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, and one of the things that I
1: found find interesting is. Because we have to find ways to deal with those negative thoughts. And what I talk to people about a lot is setting boundaries. You know, a boundary is a line that separates you from something. Uh, Maybe it's a physical space or maybe it's just feelings. Um, But boundaries tell people how they can treat us. And that's the first step. Then moving away from it.
0: Yes, and for some, it's very difficult to set those boundaries because they might be thinking, oh, yeah, that person won't like me anymore. I'll be punished. Um, don't go away from me. So it's stopping those kinds of thoughts as well as setting the boundaries. As soon as you're ready to set a boundary, you have to check in and see how you're feeling about that. What are the underlying things that are you're thinking about and come to terms with those at the same time. Otherwise, I'm not sure those boundaries would be so effective. I agree that boundaries are necessary. I agree it's okay to say no. That was a hard one. Many people say yes when they really want to say no. And if they stopped and thought about what's their motive for saying yes when they want to say no, it's usually something along the lines of, Well, they won't like me if I say no and blah, blah, blah. And I find if you can flip that around, if someone says no to you, how do you feel? Well, you'll find you generally are like, okay, they said no. Well, that's how the other person is going to receive your no. It's not a big deal. It's a simple no. And I find, again, flipping any mental conversation I'm having on the negative side around to the other person or how might I react in the same situation, I always find it's not a big deal. And so that helps me feel comfortable setting my own boundaries.
1: Well, and I tell people to think of a boundary as a fence around your backyard. I mean, we all think that we need, if we have a dog, we all think we need a fence around our backyard and it's the same thing. Because without boundaries, people can take advantage of you. And part of that is because you haven't set the limits. So we have to be able to say what's okay and and what's not okay. You know, can can I come in your space physically? Can I come in your space emotionally? Can I come in your head mentally? And we, we're the ones in control of saying, no, you know, you can't. Yep, absolutely, one hundred percent. And it's it's interesting because boundaries are hard to set. You know, I'm talking like, oh, piece of cake, easy to do. <laughs> and they're and I you know and I know yes, yes. they're they're very they're very, very difficult to, to set. But once you get the and part of that is having the confidence and the belief in yourself that you are in you have every right to set those boundaries you know a lot of people fall into the people people pleaser and for them it's really hard because they're more concerned about making you happy yes. so we're going to take a break but when we come back stay with us we've got a lot more to tell you about how to work on your own self-confidence
0: we'll be back after these messages It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. To lose weight, we know
1: that each day we need to burn more calories than we take in through eating, and exercise burns more calories. According to Discovery Health, a 150-pound person will burn about 60 calories while taking a one-hour nap. One hour of sitting and watching television burns about the same. But if that 150-pound person takes a one-hour brisk walk, Then say goodbye to more than 250 calories. Cardio exercise like running, biking, swimming, and brisk walking are the best modes of exercise to burn the highest amount of calories and will get the endorphins flowing in your body. Those feel-good neurotransmitters boost your mood naturally. So use exercise to burn calories, lose weight, and to feel good. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our
0: website at annethammond.com.
1: It's magic never heard.
0: When airplanes first began carrying passengers, everyone was treated to first-class accommodations. Caviar and sandwiches were presented on porcelain plates, with beverages served in crystal. Flying was truly a special event, as passengers wore suits and evening dresses. What do you call a person who is afraid to fly? An aeroacrophobic. The airlines required stewardesses to be unmarried, and many were nurses as well. To be a pilot was respected and revered. What do you call a person who chooses a career based on the glamorous image it conveys? A MODOC. A typical flight in those days from London to Singapore would cost over $17,000 today and take eight days. What's another word for jet lag? Dysrhythmia. It's merging I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app Too Funny for Words. We're back. Now, here's your host, Lee Richardson.
1: break, we were talking about some of the the different types of thinking we get into. And some of us are truly people pleasers. You know, that's, that's, I want to make you happy. I want to make you feel good. And there's a lot of hidden beliefs that, that play into that. Um, I know you, you look a lot at hidden beliefs.
0: One hundred percent. That's all I do. <laughs> My husband, in fact, will say, I just want to please you and kind of have a runny joke. I'll say, well, you can't. It's not his job or his responsibility. You know, we have these expectations of others to please us, make us happy, etc. And it's so unfair to that other person because we put this big burden on them. And if they don't perform, then we get angry and we feel disappointed. And uh, I'll retrace what I said. It's not their job. They don't know exactly what it takes to make us happy or love us exactly the way. That's our job. And that's why I said it's icing on the cake. If they have those feelings for us, it just enhances what we're already feeling about ourselves. But I was going to say, growing up, um, dependent on your age, You, we all heard different what I call one-liners. So. Certainly in my generation, I heard children should be seen and not heard, and also children should speak only when spoken to. Uh, There were things like money doesn't grow on trees, and actually it does because paper is made from trees, so money is made from paper, right? So there's an abundance of money out there. Um, But back to the first one, if you think about children should be seen and not heard, and your little child hearing that if you hear it over and over it's going to plant some kind of belief about yourself and in my case when I looked back I realized I took it as children are unimportant I'm unimportant and I need to remain invisible and we know that a lot of young men boys were told it's not right to show emotion to cry or put on a display like that's not manly so today there's a generation of emotionally devoid men and angry wives as a result but these men it was so ingrained in them it's not okay for a man to cry or to show a sensitive kind of feeling and so for your listeners you might want to get pen and paper and think of all those kind of one-liners that you heard growing up. And just see if you can find, if you can reflect back to what was reflected back to yourself about you. What little belief did you gain? And then look at your life going forward and see in what ways did those beliefs show up in your life. Uh, Another one I heard a lot was don't air your ignorance in public. And for the longest time in my life, I was afraid to ask questions of anybody. So I sit there and not know what they were talking about rather than air my my uh, ignorance in public for fear that they would think I was stupid. And I didn't realize that until several years ago when I started looking at these different things. And so that's really powerful. And there's another way that we get ourselves in hot water all the time, really cause our own suffering. There's three kinds of business. There's your business, and there's the divine's business, and there's my business. And the only time we can get in trouble is if we're in someone else's business. And if you think about that, like let's take the divine's business – if there's a tsunami, a tsunami, a hurricane, a earthquake, and it does devastation, it's a tragedy, certainly. However, I can't do anything about it. So for me to go on a rant about it, cause all this grief and suffering, imagining things that that are only imagined that happened to the people involved in that, because I wasn't there, I have no actual proof of what happened, only stuff that comes over the, the news, then I'm causing my own suffering, I'm out of my business. If I meet you, Lee, and I see that you have on a particular dress, and I say, oh, I see you have on a blue dress today. That's all I've said. Your mind, however, might think oh you know i knew i should have wore the red dress today da, 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 da. You know, we do this to ourselves at the same time it's none of my business what you're wearing it's your business just as it's fine nobody likes anyone being in their business right we we're quick to get on the defensive about it rather than understand that what another person says or does to us is simply a reflection of what's going on in them. Unless we get triggered, and if we get triggered, then have the presence of mind to say, wow, what belief about myself just came up for me to look at. Now, and, and none of this is overnight. It takes some conscious, some conscious work on ourselves to get your mind to this state. If somebody hurls an insult to me says I'm a nasty person in the past I would have been very defensive and reactive now I can simply get still and I can find many moments when I've been a nasty moment and I can say thank you for pointing that out to me you spoke the truth and we all say we want to we want you to be truthful until it happens and then you're like hmm and In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, how must I be showing up if someone's thinking of me as not being a very pleasant person, and then I need to check in with myself? Again, I have no control over what anybody else or how somebody else perceives me, but I do know... I give off a different energy when I'm showing off all smiles than when I'm all glum or looking angry. And we all have been through that, right? It's like when you walk into a room where there's just been a load of laughter and they've all stopped. You can feel that high high vibe energy. And if you walk into a room where they've just had a blazing argument, you can cut the air with a knife, right? It's so thick with that kind of energy. So it's be, becoming aware of what we're thinking about ourselves in any given moment. And taking responsibility for that, and that's what our online course, Blueprint for Stress Release, helps people do. It starts with the letter that I mentioned, and the letter's a bit longer and deeper and then it's followed up with a series of situations that have happened with you, and there's very specific questions that you'll ask about that situation and that belief that you had, and it will take it all the way down for you to look at it from different, observe it from a different way, three different times or two different times, and there are six self-paced lessons in here. And it takes you not only from that person that hurt you the most, but someone else that hurts you, another belief that you've been carrying, another hurt you've been carrying around. It also goes into things that have bothered you. It could be that car you just got from the dealership and the dealer told you it had this, this, this in it, and you find out it's missing one of those things. So it you're angry at the car, well, let's find out. You know, the car made you feel what? And it's just so brilliantly done. And these are your tools for life. It's not one of those things to put on the shelf, nor is it one of those things to purchase and then not do anything with it. You need to make it your breakfast every day. Get up a little bit earlier and sit with that pen and paper and follow the exercises until every one of those underlying beliefs has come up to be looked at and questioned. And it just very subtly works in your body. People will notice the difference. You'll start to attract different people in your life. Um, Certain people will just fade away and it's nothing painful about it. It just happens. And you will start to have peaceful thoughts. You know, if I offered you a billion dollars or peaceful thoughts, which would you rather have if you have peaceful thoughts you're not worried about money you're not thinking of lack you're just not in a lack mindset anymore you're in an abundance mindset at some level because you're at such
1: peace well i think you make you know you make a really good point you have to be patient with yourself yes. sitting with yourself is so hard because you know i i encourage people to practice some mindfulness every day And, well, what does that mean? All that means is just staying in the moment. Don't worry about yesterday. Don't worry about tomorrow. Stay in the moment. And sometimes you have to go backwards to go forwards. But it's so hard for people to show themselves some grace and to be patient with themselves. And, you know, if if the point is to develop self-confidence, that's got to be nurtured. It's got
0: to be grown a little bit at a time. Most assuredly. I'll tell you a quick technique to get you in the moment and keep practicing it. Like when you're in meditation and the thoughts drift away, just the fact that you even notice that and bring yourself back, that is now retraining the mind, just that consciousness. But if you, um, whatever is your dominant hand, When you brush your teeth, use your non-dominant hands. When you get dressed, if you wear slacks, put the opposite leg in that you normally do. You have to be 100% present in order to do that. And it may take weeks before it becomes natural to put to do it either way right hand left hand left leg right leg right arm it's a brilliant way to bring yourself into the present moment and the more you do that the more you'll do it in other areas of your life but first you would think it would be very simple to do those try it for two weeks and see brush your teeth with your left hand if you're right-handed you are right handed I promise you have to pay attention. You will be in the moment and it will become easier and easier if you're a meditator and those thoughts drift. Don't oh, beat yourself up. You're in the process of retraining your brain. The more positive things you find out about yourself and and say about yourself, the more you repeat that, you are literally creating new neural pathways. And if you could see this on an actual um, chart live, you would see that the longer you don't use those old negative thoughts and patterns, those neural pathways ap- actually shrivel up and go away, and these new ones become dominant. So that feeling of self confidence now becomes a dominant. This won't happen in two weeks or maybe three months. It could more than likely it'll take a little bit longer, especially if you've been in a victim mindset unconsciously for a long time. It's like anything else. Perfect practice makes perfect. So you want to make sure that you are perfectly practicing these new ways, not, um, I don't wanna say not the incorrect way, but perfect practice makes perfect. Well,
1: and I think something else that really makes a difference is stop comparing yourself to
0: others. Oh, gosh, yes. We are so unique and individual, and each and every one of us make up this big tapestry that we live in. One thread missing, then the tapestry can't be woven anymore. Our uniqueness is what keeps everything rolling in this world. We, That person that you admire and compare to I bet you money it does that that person doesn't have the unique qualities that you have. So, Lee, what you said earlier, having people write down or say out loud the things that you are uniquely good at doing. It could be brushing your teeth. It could be weeding the yard. Whatever it is you enjoy and you're good at doing that, which is usually something you enjoy, that other person you're comparing yourself to most likely can't do it just like you do either. And comparing, it's like social media. The likes and dislikes that are demonstrated on social media platforms are not about the individual, they're about the post that got put out there they're just somebody watching it either loves your post in the moment or they don't like your post in the moment it is not personal unless you make it personal and that's a very clear distinction very important to be mindful of that if if you're doing it for people to like you, that's the wrong reason because, again, we have no control over how somebody else perceives me. Heck, half of the time, probably three-quarters of the time, the people responding don't even know you, don't know who you are. You've just developed this following. Most of them are strangers, and they're simply responding to the post. That's it. And if you can be cognizant of that, then there's no pain. You just Okay, they were in that mood that day. That's all. Don't make those posts personal. They're not.
1: Well, and there's always going to be a prettier dress or a better car or, you know, the pictures that we look at on social media. And we're not looking at reality. We're we're looking at what somebody fantasizes about. And I, I think social media has done more to really hurt people's self-confidence and self-esteem than anything. And, you know, oh, I didn't get any likes. Well, is that why you posted it? You know, I've seen people post and they sit there and they look at their phone. Okay, five minutes has gone by. I haven't, nobody's responded. That's a pretty unrealistic expectation.
0: It is. And again, their likes and dislikes are not about you as a person. It's simply about what you post. And I'm sure within 24 hours, somebody is going to put at least one like out there. And again, it's not about you as the individual, it's just about your post. It's no different than when I advertise. No guarantees somebody's going to connect with the ad could go a week and nobody responds to the ad. And that's fine. I don't take it personally. It just isn't matching up with someone at the moment. No, you're right. And I think, you know,
1: kind of to take a left turn here, I want to talk about happiness and how happiness plays into self-confidence and self-esteem because there's so many different things that make us happy. You know, I mean, I'm going to leave early tomorrow on Friday, uh, that that makes me pretty happy. Um, but there are other things that are that are certainly more important. But pleasure or being in a good mood, that's you know that's when we feel happy. And it comes and it goes. and i I think that a lot of times if people can focus in on what makes them happy, what gives you a sense of purpose? what what gives you life satisfaction? Those are the things that tie in and give you confidence with yourself.
0: I'd say a large part of that is so people come to mind like the Dalai Lama or Eckhart Tolle or Byron Katie or some of these others that we're aware of, Mother Teresa, Wayne Dyer, Louise Hay, the ones that we know who are always happy are the ones that didn't compare themselves to anybody else, who reached a level of, um, who reached a level where they just didn't let things bother them. Where the the letters C H A I R had no meaning to them unless they assigned a meaning to it. You know, we are the ones constantly assigning meaning to everything, and when you learn to just let the words and everything sort of flow in like clouds and just keep on moving because none of it's permanent. None of it is permanent. And in that moment, it might feel like it is, but you have the power to understand that and to let it go if you choose to. And not make your self-confidence, self-worth, self-esteem about anything that is external to you It is never external, it's always within. And sometimes just a walk outside, a five minute walk in your neighborhood just to clear your head and just let nature take over or something else that's very relaxing for you. And if you're not in the right frame of mind, just sit with it until you feel the shift. If you're feeling depressed, find something to be angry about. That will pull you out of that depression. Then once you're angry, start moving yourself up from that emotional. Start turning that anger around with thoughts like, what can I do to, to, to make this anger lessen? And when you start asking the brain what questions, what, 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 the brain automatically goes into solution mode, and that will help you start asking, what can I do, what could be different about this. And the answer will come to you. Well,
1: and that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, that relationship that you have with yourself. Yep. And that is so important. Because honestly, the only person that you can really change is yourself. And you got to be yourself, not what other people want you to be. And why not be you? Nobody else can do it but you agreed
0: agreed and it seems you know what and i i'm not saying any of this is easy it is not when you're in a particular sad or depressed or unhappy mindset and your life is a turmoil you never think you're going to get out of the dungeon and it just takes one small shift in attitude one small shift in your thinking, and that will trigger the next one and the next one. Nothing can be done overnight, and this is where we really do need to exercise patience, and it's hard to do when you're feeling in that emotional turmoil, and you believe you'll die this unhappy person. It just takes, like I said, one little change in a thought, one, find that pin light somewhere, and it will begin to change. Like I said, when you're feeling depressed, find something to be angry about. That will pull you up out of that depression and start moving you into other states of mind that are more healthy, lighter. And ultimately, I remember someone telling me, find one good thing about your enemy. And at the time, I was in a different Mindset, and I was like, "You're kidding." One good thing about the enemy, but when I sat with the exercise, I actually was able to find, "Oh, they have really nice eyes, and they have a really nice smile," and that was the big shift. You know, imagine your worst enemy, right? You actually can find something good about them, so maybe they're not such an enemy after all.
1: Well, and I think you know, sometimes we we can choose our attitudes. You know, I'll realize, oh, I've got, I've really got a negative attitude about Mm -hmm. that. And I'll ask myself, well, how else could you think about it? Um, How would somebody else see it? Uh, What other point of views are there? And when I stop and just ask myself a few questions, I can see there's always more than one way to look at a situation. And I can choose the attitude that I want to have about the situation. I mean, and we don't want to be flexible. We want everything to go our way (laughs) or a lot of us do. I'm I'm in that group. And, And for me, you know, anything that helps me think more flexibly and helps me look for new viewpoints and different point of views is, is a benefit to me. We've got just about three minutes left. So, if for people that want to learn more about the blueprint or how they access it, um, what information could you share with us?
0: Well, certainly you can go out to our website, which is simply blueprintforstressrelease.com. We also have the blueprintforstressrelease.com is the self-paced course the same curriculum is in is it true.com that is an interactive one where we meet online once a week and we we will not start that up until after the holidays as everybody finds it difficult to get their schedules so that we can meet and i offer not very often but i offer individual coaching and that's typically in a package of five sessions As I find that seems to be the real turning point for people when we're working one-to-one. But I highly recommend Blueprint for Stress Release. Like I said, you can go at your own pace and just let that work work within you. Don't rush through it. Take your time. Feel the emotions and sensations that come up while you're working through each lesson. And just simply allow it to be, you know, we get in a, a, a mood and then we beat ourselves up for beating ourselves up, right? You never beat yourself up. That's the worst mm-hmm. thing we can do to ourselves, you know. Just Absolutely. I mean do
1: instead of that, look in the mirror and smile at yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when when I look in the mirror and I smile, I feel happier automatically. And I feel a little more confident. And I know that when I smile at people, they're gonna respond a lot better than when I glare at them, when I give them the stink eye, that doesn't get you anything. And what is it? I mean, it's so easy. Practice just looking in that mirror and smiling because the more positive that activity that you can bring in your life, the more you can create that positive support network. The more you can connect with those that are close to you. and they know if they're gonna see you smiling, They're going to put a smile on their face. You know, thank you so, so much for being with me today. You know, Sharon, we've really, we've touched on such good things. And I encourage everybody to become comfortable with the fear that's holding them back.
0: On behalf of Lee Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening if you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, TogiNet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio.